Hello and welcome to episode 73 of What Most People Think. E-I-E-I-E-I-O, up the vaccination table we go. Unfortunately, we are also top of a, uh, another table which is slightly less pre- uh, prestigious, which is the the uh, deaths per million people. That is not silverware that you want to bring home, you know, but uh, but, but what's odd this week, I suppose, and we will be speaking about this later in the show, is that people can't seem to accept that we've done all right on vaccinations, that you could be doing very badly on one thing and all right on another thing. So we will be uh, speaking about pessimism in the show. We'll also be having a good look at Trump's inauguration, uh, whether or not politics should be in Dancing on Ice and a bit of men's mental health um speaking of men's mental health i don't know about how exciting your life is right now but the other day this is the this is the kind of uh, depths that i've plumbed is that there was flooding at the end of my road uh, i was happy i was happy and this isn't to denigrate the experience of our friends in the north but i was happy because it meant i had to go into town another way i thought man like the, the drive into town is normally three minutes was now i'm looking at 12 minutes in the car mate do you know what i mean that's long enough to get a a coffee, you know what I mean? I'm seeing different sides on the way in there. Fuck me. It's sad. It's sad. You know what's odd as well about about the flooding there where I live, right? The old people, you barely see them out around here. But the moment there's flooding, they're out. It's like a fucking tourist trap for them. It's kind of like just some weird sort of geriatric schadenfreude. They come from miles around. I'm going to set up a little Eccles cake stand there. I'm going <laughs> to... It's one way of making money during this lockdown. Um, so yeah, look, at the moment, we're still in our houses, but it's good to have your company. I'm glad that you picked my podcast. Um, just a quick shout out to the patrons. Now, this podcast is supported by uh, Patreon community, you know, because we all got to have communities in 2021. The Patreon community, they identify as patrons, and it, is, it helps keep it weekly and ad-free. It used to be a bi-weekly, not that kind of buy. And importantly, ad-free, which means that over the last few months, I've been out and knocked back a few advertisers because I'd rather keep it pure, guys. You know what I mean? All these left-wingers cashing in with their adverts. You've heard them on the podcast, right? <laughs> it's so weird. There's, there's a certain kind of advert that you get on a podcast, isn't it? It's just always like, I said this before, the shitbox or, or crankathon. You know what I mean? Like just some new, some new app where you can... Uh, where you can track just how many times you've cracked one out. <laughs> they should incorporate that into your iPhone health data. You know what I mean? It just it senses the vibrations. Going, oh, you haven't had, a, you haven't, you're feeling stressed. You haven't cracked one out for three. Anyway, this has gone down a weird rabbit hole. But yeah, the patrons keep it weekly and ad free. And I read out new patrons. We have Gav Paul. Gav Paul, man. I'm just trying to work out, Gav, what your nickname would be. The Paulster, Paulie, Swimmy. They call you Swimmy, maybe. Got a guy called Graham Hobbins. Just sounds like made up. That just sounds made up. Graham Hobbins. Actually, on, in, t- in terms of the made up names, because I've got this conspiracy theory that patrons are just making up names. I got a letter because I took the piss out of a guy a couple of weeks ago called Ian Giblet. And it turns out Ian Giblet, he's well, he wrote me a letter and said, anyway, I wanted to talk to you about my surname. You said it sounded made up. It's actually French. Oh, well, that makes it better, does it? Now you are now know you're French. I'm just going to take the piss out. Uh, but of course you're very sophisticated and it should be pronounced Shiblay. Ian Shiblay. I look, I'll give you a little life hint, Ian. Don't say that down the pub. Do you know what I mean? That is you're done there. As you rightly point out, uh people will always call you Hyacinth Bouquet if you say that. But yeah, Ian Ian Giblet. We're having the giblets round. <laughs> uh Chris Fellon. 
Chris Fellon, uh, that joke, well, that sounds made up as well, doesn't it? Like, sounds like Grand Theft. What is that? Your is that your online Grand Theft Auto name? Is it? And that and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the most up to date computer game reference I've got. Grand Theft Auto, Jeff. No, not Fortnite or anything. No, Grand Theft Auto. I'm not even talking about the uh, <laughs> about like the souped up versions, you know, where you could fly a plane and stuff. I'm talking about the overhead 2D Mega Drive version. That is my last reference point. And actually on that note, I've been playing computer games with my son. He loves, uh, I was bought for Christmas, I was bought a uh, disc of retro games for the Mega Drive. And he, he really likes them because he's got great taste. He also thinks that, he also realises that cartoons, cartoons from the 80s are the best cartoons. Uh, and he said to me the other day, he said, Daddy, is it all right if we play your hyperdrive games from the olden times? I was like, okay, first things first, son. It's called a Mega Drive, right? And uh, it was only 31 years ago, so I don't think we need any of this olden time shit. Uh, speaking of shit, the cuss count. Now, this was a feature of the show where we tracked uh, swearing. A few people said that it was going on too long, uh, so I put it to a vote. And then I've basically subverted democracy. I've gone full Remainer on this in that we have a kind of sort of Brexit in name only here, is that I've slimmed it down to five swear words. So the top five swear words from the Lawrence Fox episode were 30 fuckings, 12 fucks, eight shits, eight shits, two bastards. It's very hard not to do this, you know, to think you're going to do the 12 days of Christmas. Two bastard cunts, two fucking wankers. Uh, <laughs> sorry, two fucks. And yeah, that, that works out as 0.79 swears per minute. Now, Lawrence Fox... The wild man of social discourse. Very surprising numbers here. Because we're going to do a leaderboard as well of celebrities coming on the show. We started that with Romish Ranganathan, who, who got 16 out, which is great numbers. He's put really strong numbers on the board there. Lawrence Fox, only one fucking and a ship, which kind of bears out in a weird way the reaction that some people had to the Lawrence Fox interview, which is, you know, they found him a lot more polite uh, in discussion than he is on Twitter, which I think is pretty much true of everybody. I just got to tell you a quick something before we crack on. Um, I did a tweet, and I know t t talking about social media always sounds like playground politics, but I did a tweet because it was wall to wall coverage of the inauguration. I tweeted that, uh, you know, Joe Biden is hashtag not my president, uh, nor was Donald Trump or Barack Obama. Indeed, in many ways, the US is a completely separate country. The responses, I strayed in to a shitstorm from Americans waking up. Evidently, they thought that I was making a completely different point. All the point I was really making was that, you know, we're kind of overdoing it with the coverage. You know, we're, we're a bit obsessive about the Yanks. Yes, it is very glitzy and sexy, their inauguration. Yes, they've got Lady Gaga and J-Lo. But, you know, equally, we've got Michael Ball at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. So you tell me who's got the better celebrities. But um, like I said, uh, uh, dude, you're actually from the UK? I was like, that is the fucking point of their joke. And there was a stream. I mean, if you want to go on my Twitter account... Find that tweet. Just a, a stream of uh, Americans missing the point and some very angry Biden supporters. Old Cuddly Joe, it seems, has got a fucking militant wing. And one guy accused me of pushing a Confederate agenda. <laughs> Fuck me. This website uh, is insane. But uh, going back to the reactions to the Lawrence Fox episode, yeah, people sort of said that they found him more conciliatory in person. I mean, the, the, the whole point of the podcast was, are you feeling more conciliatory uh, in 2021, then the next day he tweeted a photo of himself with a, an exemption badge <laughs> lanyard for not wearing a mask. So, you know, maybe it, it didn't last uh, that long, but I will chat to anybody. I'll chat to anybody. If I think it's possible to have a um, a constructive conversation, I will speak to anybody. And I'm going to send out like a WWE style message to Owen Jones now. Owen, OK, I've DM'd you. I want you on the podcast, Owen. I think it needs to happen. 
I uh, I did your Guardian thing for no money, just like everybody does stuff for the Guardian. There's no fucking money in it. I did that. I went to the pub. We had a chat about toxic masculinity or whatever. It's time that you come on what most people think. You have 24 hours to respond. It always seems more sexy when people say that at the end. Um, before we crack on with the show, I always do a thank you and a fuck you. I just want to thank my son. He is incredible at the moment. He's that age. I don't know if you've got a son yourself. He's four. Uh, he's four and a half, and he just loves space Star Wars, Avengers, all that stuff. He goes to bed talking about it, like I'll kiss him goodnight, and he'll be talking about X-Wings. And then it's like I just sort of pause him for 10 hours. Then I go back in the morning, I unpause him, and he's like, so X-Wings are named after a letter, and X-Wings, so are Y-Wings. And in I'm like, whoa, hang on, son. First up, it's 7.30. Secondly, that is a fucking great point. I didn't even think about that. I've, been, I've loved Star Wars for, like, what, 35 years? And it never occurred to me that all the rebel ships are named after letters, X-Wings, Y-Wings, A-Wings. But you know what? It is still 7.30. Could I just have a coffee and then we'll pick it up then? Uh, the fuck you is needing a printer. My son is homeschooling now. And uh, I, I thought we were out of the printer game. Do you know what I mean? I thought we graduated, right? We, I, just, I just don't want to print stuff. No one wants to print stuff. My, I, I say me. I mean, my wife's doing the vast majority of this. But it just reminded me of how angry... It makes me, if anybody says you need to... Oh, by the way, when you arrive for this, you just need to print something out. I just need to print something out. You, mate, you might as well ask me to donate a fucking kidney. I don't want to print anything out. What is this? 1842, you philistine. I just... It's just such an unpleasant... They just Printers were a really bad... Home printing was an awful period in our history. It's like, it's like having a wallpaper, isn't it? You know, every once in a while, there's people that want to go back to it. No, it was shit. There was a reason that we got rid of wallpaper. It pulls out fucking plaster. It's better just paint on plasterboard. And equally, printers, you know, they're like... Printers are something we should leave as a shameful chapter in our past. A bit like, a bit like bear baiting and slavery. Uh, just a quick additional note here. I had to re-record the podcast. I recorded it once. It completely shut the bed and then I had to record it in something that was sounding a bit like a ZX Spectrum. So what you'll get is occasionally it'll sound like I'm really shouting when in fact it was just the levels. I couldn't see the levels. So it was topping out a bit. It was either that or I'd have to wait until maybe Saturday or even Sunday to get the podcast out. So I hope that that makes sense. Please don't hold it against me. Don't leave. Don't leave. Not like Donald left. Oh yeah, the inauguration. Let's talk about that. Okay, let's talk about Joe Biden's inauguration. But first up, there was a last hurrah with Trump as he left office. Apparently, he choreographed his own exit from office, didn't he? Went off on a helicopter into the sunset and then arrived at some naval base and had pro probably the poxiest crowd I've ever seen. I mean, I, I, this is somebody who managed to do a tour show socially distanced. I still think we uh, had bigger numbers than Donald. And uh, he went and there was a lot of talk about, you know, who's going to pardon. It all got a bit rabid. As I said uh, on Twitter, I think he's uh, he's going to par he's going to pardon the special effects team on Cats. He's going to pardon the original cast of El Dorado. He's he's going to pardon the inventor of paper cuts. It all got a bit out of hand and he did, he did pardon some interesting people. Um, Melania at their little mini rally, she finally spoke her hundredth word during her husband's time in office. It took a while to get there. She was building up to it. Yeah, she 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 cracked, she smashed through the hundred word barrier. I mean, what has she done for the last few years? She didn't even nail the Christmas decorations. She just I just think she spent the last, you know, four years in some sort of weird Valium haze. And, and weirdly, every time she spoke in her public, it's like her accent 
is going further back to Slovenia. It's like her mind, you know, because if you look at videos of her like a few years ago, you know, she's kind of become like a, she's kind of going like, a, you know, those European tennis players when they've been on the, the ATP tour for too long and they, they sort of develop this mid-Atlantic accent where they go, you know, I was playing against Steffi the other week and, you know, Martina's got such a strong serve. And is that really as well your best tennis reference, Jeff? I just defaulted to the late 80s, like everything. It was the best time. It's a happy time. Wimbledon won the FA Cup. But her accent is going like super. She's gone past Slovenia. I don't know what's fucking east of Slovenia, but she's heading there. You know, she's becoming Siberian. Um, and then we had Joe Biden inaugurated. And it's a very strange journey that the idea of Joe Biden... You notice how a lot of people just say both his names. Joe Biden. He's definitely going to be a two-name guy. Trump was Trump. Joe Biden is going to be Joe Biden. You see what Joe Biden did? You see Grandpa Simpson is now the ruler of the free world? I mean, look, can we just get one thing away? He's, fuck, he's fucking old. Can we just say that? We had four years of talking about how Donald Trump had shit hair and was orange. So to, to correct... The comedic cosmos, I'm going to mention how old he is frequently because I can't get over it. And I know it's ages. I don't give a shit. Just think for a second about the men in your family at around the age of 78. Just think about them. Just think about how unlikely you would be to trust them with a shopping list or anything of any importance. Now, think that Joe Biden is running the world. I don't know what drugs they've got him on, but fuck me. It must be some powerful shit because... He has become an idea, isn't he? When, when back, you know, in the middle of last year, people say, oh, he's a, he's a terrible candidate. He's a terrible candidate. And then by the time the election came around, it's like, man, he's the best of a bad bunch. By the inauguration, it was Joe Biden, the Messiah. He's going to lead us back to unity, to peace. I was like, I think that all he really needs to do is steady the ship, right? That's the main thing. The main thing to do at the moment, because there's so many disaffected people in the States, is to not have like a violent overcorrection at this point. But, uh, you know, they were straight on it with the with the pronouns and stuff, you know. <laughs> that's going to, you know, just reaching out. You know, it's gonna, that's going to reassure the Rust Belt. Yeah, we, the first thing we've done in office is uh, we've changed the website so you can uh, call yourself they. Uh, and it's weird with, as well, the Brits, we started fawning over Joe Biden as well. You know, like started worrying, oh, we're not, what if Joe Biden doesn't like us? And these people, that whenever it's a, a Republican president, they're like, oh, we're in America's pocket. I hate being in America's pocket. It's just so embarrassing, you know. And then when it's somebody like Biden or fucking uh, or Obama, it's like, is there any room in that pocket? Is there still room? That looks like, that's a nice pocket. Anybody? I'd love to be in that pocket. Mm-hmm. And they had the guest, didn't they? They had Gaga. Uh, she sung, you know, she did that American thing. This is one thing where I think that the American left are in a good place in terms of uh, patriotism. Like the American left can drape themselves in the flag, you know, certainly in American centre left in this country, you know. Keir Starmer, he got Keir Starmer, I had to do it. Uh, Keir Starmer goes anywhere near a union, Jack, you know what I mean? He's getting like anti backed. <laughs> You know, you know, like mums when their kids have been out to the park now, just spraying him, wiping him down. How did it feel? How did it feel being near a Union Jack? Do you feel dirty? Have you got any symptoms? You got any symptoms? How racist do you feel since you were near the Union Jack? Uh, yeah, they can drape themselves and sing that Star Spangled Banner. You know, really get into it. I felt a bit bad for J-Lo because Gargoyle was on first and she got to do like the greatest song for, for singers to show off, the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, like... Whether it's Jimi Hendrix playing it on the guitar, it's obviously just got a lot of scope for showing off. And then <laughs> J-Lo had to come on. I don't know what that song was. This is my land. This is your... It just felt em embarrassing. You know when you're like at a kid's talent show 
<laughs> one of the kids like clearly absolutely smashed it. And then Garth Brooks, Garth Brooks come, Garth Brooks come on because they were like, uh, okay, we got go guys. He's very metropolitan Lee. Got J Lo. Ah, oh, Jesus. Are there any country singers that voted for Biden? I took Garth Brooks. There you go. This will, this will help in the Rust Belt. And there was this weird thing as well where, you know, for quite a few years we've been told that um, you can't really, you know, you're not supposed to talk about women's appearance in politics. What they mean is you're, most, you're not supposed to slag off when women look shit in politics. That's what they mean. You slag off men if they've got bad hair or if they look like, you know, if Boris looks like he's got long COVID, you can say that. You can say anything you want about Trump. You can speculate over the, his penis. You can say anything you want. But if you, God, God forbid, if you if you say anything about Sturgeon's hair, right? But it doesn't work the other way, does it? Because the moment, oh, and there were some incredibly dressed American women on. I think, you know, they really set the benchmark. I think this country, we should look to America in terms of just looking on point because they look fantastic. You know, Michelle Obama looked fucking amazing. Do you know what I mean? Kamala Harris, yeah, yeah, she looked all right. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure she... Not sure she fully pulled off those colours. Um, what has happened to this podcast? I've now become like that geezer on GMB that just says, who wore it best? Bill Clinton fell asleep, blatantly fell asleep. He's one of those guys, Bill Clinton, where he just he was better with weight, wasn't he? There is something about him now. He just lost weight. He just, for the last six years, he's looked like, like you know one of those relatives where you go, we should go and visit Bill. Have you seen? But have you seen? But you seen his? Well, you seen his latest photos on Facebook? Is he all right? It's been all right. You know, when the family are just asking little coded questions. See, is he a bit poorly? That's always funny, isn't it? When relatives poorly, what they mean is dying. <laughs> That's how much of an immature relationship the British have with uh, with death is that we're poorly. That's what if you, with the poorly basically in British means the final stages of cancer. Yeah, he's, he's a very poorly man at the moment. He's a very poorly man. He just fucking fell asleep. And then uh, Biden, I thought his speech was actually pretty good. And I must admit, I find it very affecting the narrative of, you know, the loss that he's experienced in his life. And he talked about coming back from something like that, you know, and feeling like you're on the floor. And then there was just a point where the speech went on. And I just thought, oh, my God, like he started to slur a few words. I was like, oh, man. And then I started to feel really worried. I was like, someone get granddad off stage. You know what I mean? He was about to go full Abe Simpson when he like, I remember when I was a boy. Uh, but the speech was overall, it was good. I think that there were, you know, I, I of all people believe that, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe, we should honour democratic outcomes. I did think it was odd, you know, what happened in America with the storming of the uh, Capitol building. Look, it had, that hasn't happened here, so I don't know how that impacts the national psyche. But it has gone from these fucking right-wing nutjobs sort of just getting a lucky break and kind of getting into a building to this... We almost had a coup, ladies and gentlemen. We almost had a coup. A coup would have to have some people involved in it that would have any idea what to do with power once they got in there. I don't doubt that the people in there, people like Nancy Pelosi, were were at risk. That that is not, that is beyond doubt. It's just, I mean, if they'd have got their hands on a laptop, they wouldn't know what to do. They would have just did a little selfie of themselves. They're just fucking idiots. So, I think the I think the important thing for the US is obviously the media were delighted to see Trump gone. You can understand that he wasn't the most cooperative guy. When it came to briefings, did he just start mugging off people? By the way, is it okay? Is it morally okay yet to admit your your top ten Trump favorite LOL moments? Because there were loads. I mean, the, it's funny. It's a fucking funny guy. Not a nice person, but a funny person. But I was just I was just very cautious on Twitter about listing my top ten. 
<laughs> my personal favourite, while we're discussing it, is when he barged past that. Was it that Ukrainian leader? It was just pure like alpha mammal instinct. He was just a silverback. The guy was there and he just budged out of the way and then just done up his time. Absolute prick, but sort of hilarious. Sort of hilarious. But I understand the media being pleased to see him gone. But the question now is, is that, you know, they can't fawn over Biden for too long. It's, it's understandable to have a honeymoon period, you know, three months, maybe. But they really have to hold him to account because those 71 million people that voted for Trump. So was it 71? You know, so very bigly number, one of the bigliest numbers ever. Uh, it was a lot of people. <laughs> I sound like Trump. It was a lot of people. Um, but, it, you know, it's an important matter of faith that Biden isn't just given this easy ride as this cosy kind of Uncle Joe. I heard that on the radio. People go, oh, he's just like your, just like your favourite uncle. Yeah, well, my favourite uncle had a slightly more constructive relationship with hair. He never sniffed it. He never sniffed it. And I'm not saying that Joe Biden's tendency to sniff people's hair is as big as some of the stuff that Trump did. But it's a concern. It's a concern. So it's something that's got to be managed during his time in office. And I hope that they're kind of like getting like wigs into him or something and that that is something that they can do on the DL because I think that we need stability at the moment. And the sight of the <laughs> most powerful man in the world occasionally sniffing the hair of people is not going to be constructive for the unity that Biden rightly says that we need going forward. Okay, just a quick hype now. Uh, I'm going to say hello to a few more patrons. And this kind of furthers the, the point here that I'm making about made-up names. Let's just read out a few, see what you think. Slothrop. I mean, what is that about? That sounds like, the, you know, there's that character in Game of Thrones called Reek. Slothrop, come here. Stephen Brindley and Stephen Fowler. Just sound like Scouse playwrights. Stephen Brindley and Stephen Fowler's new drama comes to ITV. The Wrong Woman. Oh, next one. Yeah, very good. I see what you've done here. They've put their name as Jeff. I love the EU Norcott. Well, yeah, I read it out. Well done. See, the thing is, I don't care. Right wing comic. I'll do, I'll, I'll do it for money. You know what I mean? I'll do, I'll do that for money. <laughs> like, uh, like people putting advertising on podcasts. I'm just doing advertising in a different way. Do you know what? You could sign up to my Patreon. And if you have a small to medium sized company, you could just make it the company name. You know, you could do it through the back door. Hey, eh? Um, there's an innuendo. We were going to keep track of innuendos. If somebody, um, David Domain is still doing the cuss cam, but if somebody else wants to keep track of innuendos, then, uh, or if you want to speak to me about anything in the podcast, email whatmostpeoplethinkuk at gmail.com. Uh, next patron I'm saying hello to is Martin Heskett. Heskett. Heskett sounds like some sort of old fashioned textile, doesn't it? You know, like tarpaulin. We had to put Heskett down on the trucks back in there. That was technically a. Uh, that was technically a cricket reference, if anyone wants to keep track of those. Phil Baines, just sounds like a left-back for Coventry in the 90s. Or was that Phil Babb? And then Lawrence Penn. It just sounds, are, you, are you a struggling actor, Lawrence? That's what that sounds like, doesn't it? Just, oh, what name could I have? Uh, Lawrence Penn, Lawrence Penn. I bet if you're a struggling actor, when you pick your name, you spend ages in the mirror just saying your name. And Lawrence, Pe Lawrence Penn, starring Lawrence Penn. Featuring Lawrence Penn. Uh, the Patreon only gig. I've got an exclusive announcement of the lineup. 
exclusive, I mean, no one else gives a fuck, it's for me to announce. It's going to be on February the 4th. This is for all tiers of the Patreon, right? If you are top tier, you will have first dibs on the front row, but we're going to make it so everybody can attend and watch it, because I know that I do, when I do new material gigs, it is only for uh, the top tier. But we're going to do a proper gig, because it's a shit month. I really appreciate you being patrons during this time. So once you get out of the other, other side of it, uh, well, the other side of it, into more lockdown... Well, it's going to be on February the 4th at 8.30. And the lineup, we're going to have guests. We're going to have Leo Kurs, who a lot of you will know from the podcast and New Material Gigs. And we'll also have uh, Francis Foster, who is left-wing. Other than that, he's absolutely a lovely bloke. And he's going to be on. Hopefully, he'll be on the podcast soon. He's left-wing, but he's also part of the trigonometry team with Constantine Kissing. And we just... Just gonna have a laugh, do you know what I mean? We'll get drunk together. Uh, we'll try and make it feel as much like a, a gig. I'll have the full gig, I'll have the mic stand, I'll have the backdrop, do you know what I mean? Ah, uh, what have we been reduced to? Quite a few people asked me to talk about Dancing on Ice. So if you didn't catch up with this, it was the first episode of the new series, I think, and Rufus Hound, a comedian, went on and he got the golden ticket and when Phil Schofield was interviewing him afterwards. He, st- he spoke about it being crazy and then Rufus used that to make a political point where he said, the crazy thing is we have a government that don't want to feed starving kids, right? Now, far be it from me to give comedians stick for, for sort of shoehorning in a political point. I've done a fair bit of that myself, but it did seem to spawn a debate of whether serious issues are kind of overly featured now in light entertainment, you know? It is cropping up more and more, isn't it? I mean, you think... The question I suppose people are asking was... When you're watching Dancing on Ice, what are you what are you watching it for? It's the most kind of camp. Yeah, I'm watching Philip Schofield being all bright. Welcome to Dancing on Ice, and you know, making us trying to make us think he's a nice guy. And uh, Holly, Holly Willoughby just looking amazing in a dress. The question is, is whether or not you're you're tuning into Dancing on Ice to hear that sort of thing. You know, and it has people quoted the fact that there was uh, Black Lives Matter was referenced on Britain's Got Talent. I'd argue that Britain's Got Talent has got maybe slightly more of a history of uh, of uh, delving into social areas, you know, like every time they have a every time they have an urban street dance troupe, you know, Simon Cowell always wants to make a point about this is what's best about Britain. You guys are from a poor area, but you're not stabbing anybody tonight, you know. So I think that that it's not the first time that we've had that kind of uh, uh, kind of narrative there. But may- maybe the key is that we just need political balance in light entertainment. If the producers of Dancing on Ice want to get me on to provide some balance on the things that government actually have done for people on lower incomes, I'd still rather shoot myself in the face. But it's balanced. Maybe we just throw it back the other way. Do you know what I mean? Maybe if I ever get invited back on Question Time, maybe they've had politics on light entertainment. Maybe I bring the light entertainment into politics that's the answer isn't it i just skate out there you know fiona bruce asked me the first question i said you know what fiona instead of doing that why don't we just jive you know just give her a little twirl dressed up as some fucking cyber sailor <laughs> that's the way to do it isn't it we just need balance jeff norcott what do you think about the new brexit red tape that companies having to deal with i'll tell you what i think in the form of a hand jive um you know Politics. I wonder if politics of Don dancing on ice is kind of like the end point, which proves that anything could be political. Because the truth is, we all have become more political. I'm sure that over Christmas, if you were in a split Brexit household, right, particularly if you were in one of those middle class families where the families are very middle England, but the children have gone off to live in a metropolitan heartland, they just can't believe it. Mummy, Daddy, why did you do this? Why did you vote for fascism? So it's always simmering there, right? And then during Christmas, father's sitting there going, well, it's just good, nice to have a good old-fashioned British 
uh, Christmas lunch. Well, actually, Daddy, actually, a lot of modern uh, Christmas traditions actually emanate in Germany. Oh, this is all about Brexit, isn't it? I knew this would come up. So, you know, politics can make its way uh, into anything. But I just I just wonder, what I worry about is if I can't be guaranteed of watching Dancing on Ice without politics, then I do think that it, there'll, be, there'll be a next wave of this. You know what I mean? I'm going to be watching fucking uh, Peppa Pig and <laughs> Peppa Pig is going to be going to a food bank or something. You know, it's got to stop somewhere. So I mentioned in the introduction uh, about pessimism, right? Obviously, there's a lot of bad news around at the moment, but there's a little bit of good news. And I think it's really important that we're able to hang on to that good news where possible, right? So the BBC, BBC News, they shared a story that the economy had contracted 2.6% in November. You know, a shock news. Economy gets smaller in lockdown. You know, you remember lockdown? You know, a bit where you couldn't go in restaurants and if you wanted to get fish and chips, you had to stand outside just waiting for it on the pavement like you were waiting for a methadone prescription. Yeah, the economy got smaller then. I don't know. I don't think that's that bad. I think that 2.6% during a national lockdown is actually a matter of national pride. That's our Dunkirk. Do you know what I mean? We are, we are still buying pointless shit that we don't need. Instead of coming back from the French coast in tiny boats, we're getting tiny little Amazon packages through our door in the spirit of keeping the country on its feet. And there were genuinely um, surprisingly positive details further down. It said that house building, infrastructure and car manufacturing were all above their pre-pandemic levels. And yeah, I was surprised too. I don't I was fucking, I don't know how that was possible. I don't know if those things slumped just before the pandemic really, really badly. So the point was that they could only get better. But fuck it, it's good news. I threw it out there. And then, of course, you get this thing where it's not, I'm not talking about Remainers here. I'm talking about the FBPE, the Follow-Back Pro-Europe. Even they have a militant wing of sort of Victor Meldrew, whingy fuckers who just have to piss on any evidence that anything might have gone right since the uh, transition period ended. You know, I spent, I was duking it out online with these dudes. They were just, they weren't even reading the information. They were going, no, that's not true because uh, car registrations in the UK are actually down. I'm like, yeah, maybe when I said car manufacturing, you could like, I don't know, sell them abroad. I don't know. Hey, I'm no expert. Anyway, I went, I went through that, and then there was a tweet by a, uh, a journalist who'd highlighted, who highlighted that Britain had had a positive start in the rollout of the vaccine. I thought, well, that's good news. I'll share that. Vaccine rollout, that benefits us all. Surely nobody could piss on this. But then, of course, there, there, there they were again, the old Victor Meldrew death cult. Well, actually, I think it's only one jab in each arm. I'm like, yeah, but that gives, still gives some sort of immunity, right? It makes them get less sick if they do have it. Let's just... Maybe take the fucking win here. They're like, yeah, well, you know, I just think it's a bit crass comparing us to the rest of Europe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So if we'd have been the worst country in Europe, you wouldn't have mentioned it. Do you know what I mean? Fucking James O'Brien would have had it tattooed on his forehead. <laughs> I just I just worry, right? I worry that if we cannot get together on the idea that a good early vaccine rollout is a good thing, I don't know if there's anything we could agree on as a country, you know? I think if there was a, like a giant meteor heading for planet Earth, I think you'd still have people going, let's fire a missile at that meteor. Okay, let's fire the missile. Once it was fired, they'd be going, do you know that uh, technology was actually developed in Cologne, not Cambridge, so Europe wins. For fuck's sake. I understand public pessimism generally. You know, we've had this wave of everything's going to be right. Oh, no, it's still fuck. Everything's going to be right. It's still fuck. So some people have just gone, you know what? I keep getting marched up the hill of optimism. Maybe pessimism is just a bit kinder on the knees. But... I do think that you need to keep an eye. We do need some good news. We need some good news. While 
This week, there was a, a blue tick journalist who actually corrected that map of Europe, right? So what they did was they, they said, well, you know, the reason Britain's doing better than Europe is because we had a head start. So let's correct it and start it from when they started. <laughs> it's the most mental. Such a, the thing is, it's such an effort to go to, to make your point, rather than just go, yeah, no, actually, we've had a, a good start. I think, you know, the real point is, can we keep it up? That is, hey, can we, that is the issue here. I don't want this vaccine rollout to be like me at school cross country because I was always in the lead early on. You know, it was nice. I was looking at fucking winning. And I was sort of vomiting halfway through and finished third last. So I think that's a legitimate question. But if you start redrawing the map just so you can not give Britain any credit for having done anything well, I don't know. I feel like people are, this is something I said in the predictions for the years that people will be looking around for any evidence that they can that Brexit is and has gone badly. And there are things that are going wrong. You know, there's, there's red tape that companies haven't faced. There's this issue uh, about visas for touring acts. But equally, there's some really dumb things that are being held up as examples. There was that clip of uh, uh, Brexit, uh, sorry, border officials in Holland confiscating a sandwich. And they said, welcome to the Brexit. Welcome to the Brexit. And I, you know... <sighs> You know, the pound is at a year-long high against the dollar. I don't know if that, that feels to me more relevant than some snarky border officials. And I would argue that sandwiches aren't the worst thing that I've heard of to be confiscated at the Dutch border. But what do I know? What do I, and the thing is, Brexit might be a, uh, a disaster in the long run. But the problem is, is that trying to declare it <laughs> in the third week of January about, you know, what, what it's going to mean for our trade over the next 50 years. I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. It might be a bit premature. Okay, we're just going to do a bit of men's mental health here because I've noticed an increasing number of emails from blokes saying that they're struggling at the moment. And I thought about myself, and I've been struggling, to be honest. And, oh, here we go. This is where people listen to can finally become like one of those fucking comedians moaning about mental health. But the point is, right, People in the public eye, I've noticed this with the old celebs, is they often talk about mental health when they're the other side of that. Have you ever noticed that? Where they go like, uh, yeah, three years ago I was in a, uh, I was in a very dark place. I was in the darkest place of my life. But um, look at me now. Oh, 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 wow. So you made me think that you're going to empathise, but that was just a, a sort of fucking hero narrative. But yeah, I've been stuck, struggling. Not all day, every day. Things are really up and down. But when it's bad, I just, I'm so delicate. Right, I've got this weird state of mind where I'm both argumentative, but unbelievably thin-skinned, you know, unbelievably thin-skinned. And I think the, the key is as a bloke to recognise that if you are a bloke that, you know, you used to work out of the house and like being out and about, as a lot of men do, that being under virtual house arrest is likely to have an effect on your mental health. So you just got to ask yourself how you're feeling, because if you think, yeah, maybe I am feeling a bit tetchy, you can avoid some needless rows, like, because, I don't know, when you're working less then you want to work, there is this masculinity thing, this pride thing of, you know, feeling useful as a man. So therefore, there might be something that the missus says to you that you jump on that isn't anywhere near as bad as you thought. They might say, well, have you not taken the bins out? Well, do you don't think I'm strong enough to take the bins out? Is that what it is? You think I'm less of a man because I worked three days out of five this week? Is that what it is? Why don't you just say it? Why don't you just marry the Amazon driver? I think we both know that this is what you want in the long run. It's dangerous, you know. We often, as blokes, associate women with being a bit testy and a bit snippy. We we do it too, man. We do it too. It all depends what your internal narrative is. What are, what are things that you're you're scared of right now? And it is difficult looking out on the government saying, "Well, you know, it might be all right by Easter." You going, "Yeah, I might have, I might be sort of drinking my own piss by Easter." So how about that? And it's tricky because I would often, uh, 
I would often recommend counselling, but I don't know if counselling, doing it for the first time over Zoom might be a bit weird. It might feel less like counselling and more like you're, doing, you're speaking to your account manager from Eon. You know, a little headset on. So I don't know. Or maybe it'll be a good little divide where you can just spill your guts when you don't actually think you're with a person. Maybe it'll be like a, a good sort of like sort of training ground to have a bit of counselling. But yeah, you know, just writing shit down. How am I feeling? How am I feeling? You know, that's what you got to ask yourself, guys. How am I feeling? Because I think it does help. Having a dog fucking helps. Do you know what I mean? It's the most legitimate reason to just go out for... I mean, even if I didn't have a dog at this point, I'd probably I'd probably have one of those leads. Do you remember those comedy leads with the, had the wire in it and the little collar? So I'd just be out walking that in the dark. Because it's a great reason just to get out of the house. It's definitely going for a walk. I don't know what it is. It always helps. I'm not saying that women aren't suffering from this too. But you know, when it's cold, women, they, they don't like... You know, they're in their fucking onesies by 8pm. You know, I'm still, I'll be going on stage at 8pm. I miss comedy, guys, uh, is the bottom line. Um, because, and it's difficult. When you're not doing your usual stuff, it's very unlikely that you're going to feel like your usual self. Oh, my God. That was the wankiest thing I've ever said. It was, I think it was perceptive, wise and accurate. But I did sound like a twat when I said it. Just one letter this week. This is from Chris in Coventry, and we—he's uh, sort of picking up on this theme. He, Chris, the way you write is fucking insane. So I'm just gonna pray see this. Your point seems to be that you're working from home and you're under your wife's feet. She's under your feet. So you suggested to her that you don't speak to each other until the working day's over. Chris, get help. That is insane. You can't say that to a woman. You can't say that to anybody. That you just. You just like go on a, <laughs> I mean, it's a creative way around the idea of, you know, familiarity breeding contempt. I think it might breed something else, Chris, in this case, is that your wife thinks that you're clinically fucking insane, mate. That I just don't think that's workable. Where you just avert your eyes as you walk by, or just walking past each other in the hallway, like your two colleagues that accidentally fucked at a, a stop, not accidentally fucked, but, you know, unexpectedly had sex at a stop, too, just looking away like. <laughs> um. <laughs> I don't think that's workable. I think that maybe, you know, maybe see if there's like a hotel room that you could go in and work in for the day, you know, like they're very cheap at the moment. It's a legitimate reason you're going there to do, well, you would be going there to do work, but let's be honest, men in hotel rooms all day. I think there's another thing that you'd be catching up on. Um, I, I just find it insane. I, I don't know if you're, you're taking the piss, but I just I just love the idea of you being in the kitchen together and her just forgetting and going, oh, by the way, shh. But Chris, I was like, it's five to five. In five minutes, we can have this conversation. But for now, I'd just like to think that you aren't near me. <laughs> Good luck with that, Chris. Okay, uh, that is pretty much the end of the show. At the end of the episode, I read out any five-star reviews from iTunes. I'm aware that people are leaving iTunes on other websites. They're just much harder to get to. I don't know why I have Spotify. They just don't seem to want me to read them. Maybe they're really fucking bad and it's for my mental health, but I will try and work that out and read them out in future episodes. But there's a few to catch up on here. So I'm just, I might have to pray see them. This is from, uh, this is from on Tuesday. This is from a Mackham. Uh, Right, so I've got to do the accent. Been on form from the start, and they're always thought-provoking provoking, and mostly caring. <laughs> that was interesting. Both you and Lawrence Fox raised some interesting points, and it was refreshing to hear your views and debate. All right, thank you for that. Uh, it's from Grayski. Well, just well done. 
Even when you try to get a reaction and say things I don't really agree with, I'm happy to know there are people out there still brave enough to voice their opinions. Well, I, you know, that's what it's all about. No one wants to be in an echo chamber. Uh, just listen to the Loza Fox episode. This is from DD Girl. Thoughtful and unguarded. Love the way you always try to play devil's advocate. Such a rare thing these days. Well, you know, I, I, look, I'm happy. I'm not going to give anybody an easy ride, even people that I agree with on some stuff. But uh, maybe it's time now. We've had a few people that I agree with. Mate, I'm a, Owen Jones, if you're listening, if you're man enough, yeah, get your fucking balls out and get. Um, hardest working man in podcasting this is from Maconda Uh, Jeff delivers a fantastic weekly experience by putting himself and his humour into a warm and hilarious views of the week uh, review of the week's news there may be interviews with guests such as fellow comedians and public figures but the podcast really shines when he applies his wit and wisdom to everything from global events to takeaways well I've got to say that that's pretty much what I was Hoping to read. Sorry, I'm not delicate at the moment. I'm not delicate, but just, you know, I have to get a bit of praise. Uh, this is from Pillhead. Pillhead already left a review, I think. Excellent show. Uh, this is from Nureton. I was first attracted to the show by hilarious reviews. <laughs> and they've put positive votes, uh, quotes from people that wouldn't like me, like Owen Jones. I don't know. I think Owen's a big fan. And Gary Lineker, but then also says, bit of a twat from Ash Sarkar. I'll have Ash on the show. I'll speak to anyone. I'll speak to anyone. Look, that is the end of this week's podcast. Like I say, it is fucking tough out there. Just think about having your feeling, how you're feeling. And if you snap at your missus, right, and she looks surprised, then do think to yourself, is my Swede going a bit wonky here? And if it is, write some stuff down or go to a travel <laughs> and wank yourself into a stupor. Oh, 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 oh,